0: Welcome in, everyone, to what we hope will soon be your fix for college football content coming off your college football weekend. It's the Dual Threat Podcast featuring uh, Scott Fisher and myself, Mark Rogers. And uh, we're going to come your way each and every week. And we hope to build it out to at least twice a week here coming up uh, in the offseason. But for right now, it's a big wrap up show of your college football weekend. And we're starting here in week eight. And uh, we're going to have a great time. You can catch both Scott and I on YouTube. I'm at uh, Mark Rogers TV and look up Scott Fisher for all of his uh, college football content. Scott, how you doing today?
1: I'm good. How are you doing, Mark?
0: I am great. I am great. Another college football Saturday that did not disappoint at all. But before we talk about uh, week eight and look forward to uh, November, which is typically. Uh, the end of college football and when all the championship races are decided. But we're going to leak into, of course, in this crazy 2020 into December. Let's uh, let people know who we are and
1: what we're all about. Well, as Mark said, my name is Scott Fisher. I'm actually a college student at Indiana University studying sports media. And YouTube is definitely my favorite thing. I talk about college football, sometimes talk about the NFL, but I plan on doing that for my, my career moving forward. So. That's me. I love college football, and I, I would like to say I know a lot about it.
0: Yeah, so for me, I uh, attended Kent State University, graduated from there just a couple years before Scott, just a few years. Uh, then I was at, uh, uh, in traditional broadcasting on television at a couple local markets in Ohio and a CBS station in Mississippi. WCBI is sports director down there covering the SEC for six or seven years. My first job was as a news anchor reporter, which I could tell all sorts of stories about actually at all these stops. And then, after about a year and a half out of the business, uh, after I was on air for about nine years, I went to ESPN. They were looking for somebody with exhaustive sports knowledge and producer skills. So I answered that ad, and I was a production operations manager at ESPN for 19 years, up until just about a month ago when I handed in my resignation to do all of this full time so you can catch me mark rogers tv the voice of college football on youtube all right scott let's dive into it so interesting happenings over the weekend of course with trevor lawrence sidelined so we got to see clemson without who many people consider to be the best quarterback in college football so clemson survives with dj uyangalele at quarterback which he performed well. He threw for 342, couple touchdowns, no picks, ran the ball well. Uh, taking on Notre Dame, the Irish with a ho-hum win against Georgia Tech, 31-13. Uh, your thoughts about the big clash? That is probably uh, what uh, the ACC had in mind when they allowed Notre Dame to kind of crash the party and play for a championship in the conference this year.
1: Well, it's first we have to start out with the fact that Dabo said in this post-game interview that Trevor will not be available for next week's game against Notre Dame, so the freshman DJ Uagalele will have to be playing in that game. And as you said, he looked pretty good against uh, Boston College. But I think in the second half, when they when they needed him to perform and get the team going, he definitely led them down the field. He led that comeback, and they won that game. ETN struggled in the first half as well. He had that fumble that led to that like 99-yard Boston College return, but The team got it together seemingly after halftime, and I think they'll be ready to play Notre Dame next week. And I think Yuago Lele is going to be prepared. And with Notre Dame, I think this is really the last chance Ian Book has to cement himself as, like, an elite college football quarterback. And I believe this game is at home, and they'll have some fans. So I think that this is actually going to be a really, really good game. And I think with Trevor Lawrence out, this actually evens the playing field. And I honestly don't know who to pick at this point.
0: Yeah, I haven't made my prediction on this one. Won't until Thursday or Friday. But um, I thought uh, DJ played extremely well. I thought considering it was his first start and Boston College took a 28 to 10 lead. Had somebody said BC's up 28 to 10 second quarter. Check it out. Check out the box score. I would have expected to look at uh, the box score and see That he was 10 for 22 with three interceptions but he played extremely well he hit his least at least his eight first eight passes uh 31 to 42 off the top of my head for 342 something in that range no interceptions i i thought he threw the ball extremely well there's a reason he's the number one rated quarterback in high school coming out and he's had a year in the system Uh, i think they're going to be just fine would trevor lawrence have played better than him probably much better. I don't really, can't see it in the stats at least. And I watched from from the time it got interesting. I didn't start out watching that game. I was watching other games, Michigan, Michigan State and others. But once it got, okay, this is serious here. It's 21-10, 28-10. Boston College could possibly pull this out. I watched the rest of the game and I played, thought he played great considering they had no running threat in the first half. BC shut down ETN. Uh, he started to find some yardage in the second half. It almost was like the college football playoff scenario with Ohio State where Clemson could not run the ball from the traditional running back set. So they started to use Etienne as a pass receiver. They did the same thing in this game. Seven catches for a buck, forty. caught the game-winning touchdown pass. Uh, so, so Clemson, they also are, were missing three defensive starters. I don't know if those guys are going to be back, but they've been missing for a while. Tyler Davis. Probably their best defensive lineman, Mike Jones, the linebacker, Jake Skalski, probably their best, best defensive player, period, their leader. So that has to be taken into consideration. Those three losses might be bigger considering Trevor Lawrence's understudies performing just about as good as he did, at least for that one game. Uh, those might be a bigger concern. I don't know. Um, yeah, Notre Dame, bad start to the season. Uh, Close wins against Duke, Louisville, but uh, the last couple weeks they've looked like they've hit their stride. Georgia Tech didn't really score any meaningful points in that game. They had a freak score uh, off a turnover early, uh, but Notre Dame had control, and Georgia Tech's last touchdown was in garbage time. So I I know that Georgia went there a couple years ago, the year they went to the national championship game, only beat uh, Notre Dame by one point. Notre Dame's got this horrible reputation for losing – big games that they haven't won a big game in forever and they usually get blown out i think that's a little overplayed it's basically true they don't get the win but they played well in athens last year against georgia again two years prior to that they played well against Georgia at home lost by one point uh of course the clemson game in the playoff was an embarrassment a couple years ago but they played them extremely close in death valley before that um yeah, I'll have to give some more thought to this one,
1: and we'll have my prediction uh, later this week. Yeah, and one more thing you can't forget about is there a, the defensive end, Xavier Thomas, will be out the first half after he was ejected for his, his hit on Djurkovic, Jerkovic, my bad. So they will be missing him for the first half.
0: All right, so we got Clemson-Notre Dame. That's a game much anticipated all season in the ACC and probably the two best teams in the conference uh, if Clemson wins this as expected, then you've got Notre Dame with a loss, you've got Miami with a loss, and, and uh, all sorts of tiebreakers may ensue after that, uh, especially since North Carolina was upset against Virginia, and uh, they may not turn out to be a factor, although they still have games with Notre Dame and with Miami. Going to the SEC, uh, a team that most likely has no shot of winning a championship is Texas A&M. Since Alabama beat them head to head, possibility of Alabama losing two games is almost 0%. Uh, The tide is just rolling, continues to 41-0 over Mississippi State. But the Aggies are playing good football. They got a home win against Arkansas, who was playing pretty well. Obviously, uh, the, the most improved team in the SEC. And a big win against Florida several weeks ago when they were ranked in the top five. So Texas A&M now is a 4 and one football team. And they've got a fairly light schedule down the stretch, considering LSU and Auburn aren't what they typically would be, a top 5 to 10, 15 teams in the country. So the rest of the schedule, Scott, for Texas A&M plays out in a way in which All of these teams could beat Texas A&M. They're all capable of beating Texas A&M, but they're all very winnable games. I think Texas A&M would be favored in just about all these games. South Carolina is coming up. Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU and Auburn. So Texas A&M with one loss could get into a situation where alabama wins the sec championship game in beating georgia for a second time so that tags georgia with two losses texas a&m is sitting there at the end at nine and one and if they get some conference champions out of other conferences with one or two losses then it makes for
1: an interesting comparison there for the college football playoff selection committee well going into this year most people had a lot of polls had texas a&m as a top 10 team top 15 team I think a lot of people thought they were overrated because they haven't really won a big game in the last few years. And a lot of people just don't really think they're legit. They definitely showed week one that they were pretty much overrated as they only beat Vanderbilt by five points and could have easily lost that game and then got beat by Alabama pretty badly in week two. But they proved the entire world wrong when they beat number four Florida in week three with that game winning field goal. And Texas A&M as Mark said is definitely a a dark horse college football playoff contender. The the chances are not very high, but I mean the chances there. If they do win out and go, are in fact 9 and 1 and let's say the Big 12 or the Pac-12 don't put anyone with one loss or undefeated, it's hard to argue that Texas A&M wouldn't get that spot. But then one thing you do have to wonder about is a team like BYU, a team like Cincinnati, one of those group of 5 schools, but at the end of the day, I almost think they would put Texas A&M in over those guys. But, yeah, Texas A&M doesn't really have that difficult of a schedule down the stretch. South Carolina, that as Mark said, all those games are, are winnable and they're all losable. But Texas A&M right now has seemingly found their rhythm a little bit. They've won their last three games. They looked pretty good in all of them. They beat an Arkansas team that's definitely a lot better than people give them credit for. And I think definitely they win four of these last five games for sure. I think Auburn proved yesterday maybe they're taking a, a step in the right direction. I think my biggest concern for Texas A&M is sort of the receiving game. They don't really have like a go-to wide receiver. They're, they actually have a running back who's their top receiver this year and they have a tight end who's doing really well, but they don't really have that go-to guy who's going to make a play, who's going to take over the game, but they do have a running back and Isaiah Spiller who's one of the best in the country. He has 512 yards and five touchdowns so far. And then, as we all know, they have a veteran quarterback in Kellen Mon. so they're definitely capable of making a dark dark horse backdoor type playoff run. But it's just going to depend on other. It's going to it's going to depend on them winning out and how the other conferences do. What do you think, Mark?
0: Yeah, we did a segment uh, on our YouTube channel on Texas A and M last week. Had a Tex Ags reporter uh, talk about Texas A and M. I've seen them play quite a f- bit this year. I watched a little bit of the Arkansas game last night on replay saw the alabama game most of it until it no longer was interesting saw them beat mississippi state saw the florida game uh jake weidemeier is definitely one of the best tight ends in the country he's got 25 receptions they do as you mentioned not have a go-to wide receiver they've rec- recruited out of their minds extremely well at every position pretty much including wide receiver but a lot of the guys that they had um, hoped would be guys that would be tremendous wide receivers have not stepped up because they also lost Courtney Davis and they lost um, uh, Jamon Osbon uh, from last year's receiving core. So they've got a lot of young guys, guys that were hurt uh, during the off season and are just gaining their stride. Hezekiah Jones would be a guy to look out for that just got onto the field last night for the first time. So they're an interesting team. They've got a guy in Chase Lane as a uh, kind of a Jet sweep guy that comes out of the backfield does different things for them. Kind of an Anthony Schwartz type, uh, the Auburn player. That um, I think they have the capabilities. I think their defense is better than it's been in forever, and uh, I think they're fully capable of winning these games. But again, you know, everybody they they don't have a light schedule, but it's not daunting either. They they play a lot of capable SEC teams, mid tier teams and that's what they've, they've got to deal with. And Kellen Mond is, is apt to have a bad game at any point, but he certainly has uh, turned it on the last three or four weeks.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you on that, and I definitely think they can find a go-to wide receiver. Kellen Mond can actually live up to his hype and can play five complete games. Texas a and is going to put themselves in a very interesting spot come come the end of the year. And another game that is going to potentially have dark horse implications is Georgia and Florida are both one loss out in the SEC East after Florida beat Missouri and Georgia beat Kentucky. So what do you think of what do you think's at stake and what do you think is gonna happen going into that game next Saturday?
0: Well, I think that uh, the same thing is at stake that's been at stake now for three consecutive years when these two teams get together. They are the class of the division. Georgia is the class of the division and they've put Florida in their place the last two years but florida has then proven to be better than everybody else and the second best team in the east that's the hurdle that dan mullen faces uh georgia has a roster that's as good as anybody in the country they're loaded their defense is probably the best in the country i want to see a little more out of ohio state but they've got a uh, issues in their secondary uh does ohio state i think georgia's got the best defense in the country Uh, Now they need to get more out of the passing game. We know Stetson Bennett's limited. It's kind of a strange situation where the least talented quarterback in their locker room is their starting quarterback. Uh, And so we saw the the issues that caused in the second half against Alabama in a very close game that turned into a blowout uh, when Stetson Bennett tried to do too much. And they need uh, more dynamic quarterback play. Uh, They only threw for about 130 yards against Kentucky because they could, because their defense is so good. They only gave up three points, Uh, but they run into Kyle Trask and a pretty dynamic Florida offense. Uh, The positive sign for Florida is that they had played horrendous defense for the first, what, three games of the season. They were two and one. They had missed some games because of COVID. They come back against Missouri And Missouri's been playing well. They beat Kentucky. They beat LSU. They threw for a ton of yardage in those games with uh, Connor Basilek. And Florida figured some things out. Todd Grantham, uh, apparently their defensive coordinator, uh, had so much time to watch tape since they haven't been practicing or playing that um, maybe they figured some things out. And uh, they're going to play some better defense uh, because that's the missing link Uh, and has been for Florida here but they've they've been bullied by Georgia in these two meetings Uh, they hung in the game until the fourth quarter and then they just got worn down defensively and Georgia just took over the game up front and bullied them the last two years so we'll see if Florida's physical enough to take on Georgia this week should be interesting
1: yeah I mean as usual it's probably going to determine the SEC East because Tennessee was supposed to be potentially hyped up this year but As we all know and expected, they had a letdown. And then Missouri, South Carolina, Kentucky are kind of that second tier. All three of them are kind of in that rebuilding stage. And there's just no chance that anyone else wins this division except Florida or Georgia. But that's exactly what we all expected. But we all, I think we all have to agree that Florida has the better quarterback. Kyle Trask has looked really, really good at times. And they have arguably the best tight end in college football in Kyle Pitts. They have a speedy guy in Kadarius Toney just a lot of, they have a lot of weapons. But yeah, as I saw last night as I was watching the Missouri game that the biggest problem for Florida has been they haven't had enough plays. They've had the second least, at least going into last night, they had the second least amount of plays in college football per game. And that was causing their defense to be on the field more. And yeah, they were scoring points very quickly, but when your defense is on the field the entire game, they get more tired and that offers more opportunities for the other team to score and get, play catch up ball with you. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see if Florida can dominate the time of possession. And I think if Florida dominates the time of possession, I think they have the better quarterback. I think this could be finally the first time that the Gators win this game.
0: Yeah, I uh, certainly, uh, you know, before uh, COVID took over this summer, the schedules got completely revised. This, the whole season was turned upside down. Uh, Was certainly weighing that in my mind back and forth. I I don't think there's any question Georgia's got a better team. They've got a better roster. They've got more talent. Uh, They've got top three recruited talent across the roster. Florida's more in the top 10 to 15 range, but certainly capable. You can develop teams to to be as, uh, you know, to play beyond that. Uh, And then once Florida came out and played such ridiculously awful defense for a few games I questioned whether they would be able to hang with Georgia uh, this year because uh, they, they've got that hurdle to climb anyway but then you know that was with playing really good defense and with a lot of future NFL players that they put out there in the last few years uh, that if their defense was going to take that that kind of step back that they would have no chance of uh, winning the East this year But again, it's a positive sign that they came back uh, in this game against Missouri and played extremely well on defense. Um, Brenton Cox is a Georgia commit who then flipped to uh, Florida, who's uh, a tremendous player for them. They need him to play well. uh, And and they're going to just have to muscle up up front or they're going to get beaten down just like they have the last two years against Georgia. I think that's that they have to stop the running game. They can't just get whipped up front and have Samir White run for 140 or 50 yards and and those waves of Georgia backs just beat them up like they have the last couple of years. So we'll see if Florida's strong enough up front uh, because I think that's what it's going to come down to.
1: Yeah I mean I totally agree with you and it'll definitely be an exciting game this year. This is a big game for Dan Mullen and uh, speaking of another coach who had a lot of hype when he was hired, Jim Harbaugh and Michigan had a lot of hype after they beat Minnesota week one in pretty much dominating fashion. It looked like they had found their next quarterback in Joe Milton, but it turns out Minnesota may be the second worst team in the, in the Western division. They lost by an extra point to Maryland and that Maryland team got killed by Northwestern and there's a lot of chaos going on in the big 10, but that's besides the point. But Michigan state who just lost to Rutgers went ahead and beat Michigan on the road yesterday. What are your takeaways from that? Is, Is it time for Harbaugh to go? What do you think, what do you even make of this? Well, I was surprised Michigan State won. I was not surprised it was close.
0: I certainly grabbed the 22 points and didn't think too long about that. But I'm surprised that Michigan lost the game because Michigan State, as you mentioned, was so bad against Rutgers, which I don't know necessarily how to weigh that. They turned the ball over seven times. And if you really watch the game, they dominated. It was almost like a Penn State, Indiana kind of situation where Michigan State dominated the game. They were the better team on the field. They just made seven horrible mistakes and lost that game to Rutgers. But nobody's really expecting Michigan state to do anything this year. So this is a team that Michigan should not be that Michigan should not be in a game with, let alone losing the game as a twenty two point favorite at home. Uh, in terms of Joe Milton, I saw all sorts of crazy comments on social media yesterday about Joe milton and He's obviously not the guy, and and I had posted some videos this week after his nice performance against, well, actually before the season opener, but then certainly once he turned in a nice game against Minnesota uh, about whether he could possibly be, uh, finally, this quarterback that Michigan has been starving for for the last 15 years, uh, actually since maybe Chad Henney would be their last really good quarterback. Um, and, and Joe Milton's not. Uh, Based on what I observed against Minnesota and against Michigan State, Joe Milton is not the problem. They have a lot of other issues besides Joe Milton. Uh, He played rather well. Did he play great? Was he uh, an elite quarterback? No, but it was his second career start. I think Joe Milton's fine. Uh, I think they have issues on defense. Their, Their corners couldn't cover anyone. They got annihilated in the secondary. Rocky Lombardi threw for 323 yards on 17 completions, meaning that everything was a chunk play, was downfield. They just got whipped in the secondary. And their defensive line, which has a bunch of named players up there, like Carlo Kemp and uh, Quitty Pay, should have been putting pressure on the quarterback, and they couldn't get home. Um, so in terms of Jim Harbaugh, you know, it all comes back to him because he's the man in charge. So it, it, uh, he is, is he a good coach? I think he's a really good college football coach. Uh, I think that uh, his record speaks for itself. He's, he's turned around every program he's gone to. Uh, every program that he's gone to both in the NFL and in college football were tons better once he got there and reworked the, the roster and recruited and built his system. The problem is, in the Big Ten, he's running up against a juggernaut, number one. Number two is that they're, they're improved, but they're not improved enough. He's making top three money in college football. He's making Jimbo Fisher kind of money, and Nick Saban kind of money, and they have ascended to a certain level, and now they're just stagnant at that nine and three level, and that's not good enough for what he's being paid. So if i was running the show you know people are talking about jim harbaugh being fired i don't think he's going to get fired i don't think hardly any coaches are going to get fired because of covid and because of the difficult circumstances for any team i think that he is signed through 2021 and i think that's going to be do or die year that that would be for me if i was the michigan administration uh i'd have a conversation with him after this season regardless of whether they go uh, eight and one, or four and five, or whatever happens, I don't think he's going to get fired. I wouldn't fire him this year, but he would certainly be on the hot seat if I was running the show next year. He would have to go win the Big Ten next year. That would be my criteria for Jim Harbaugh in 2021.
1: No, I, I agree with you. I think people are too quick to call for the heads of every coach after every single bad game. But it has been a trend that Michigan seemingly loses these big games or loses a really stupid game that they should not lose. I mean, yeah, Jim Harbaugh's paid like a top five coach in college football, I believe. So losing to Michigan State, who's not very talented, is very young and is under a first year head coach, is kind of unacceptable when you have that kind of talent. One thing I was going to mention is they ran the ball extremely well against Minnesota. They just didn't really look that good yesterday running the ball. They arguably had the best running back room in the country with Hassan Haskins, Blake Corum, Chris Evans, and Zach Charbonnet. Really, no one really established themselves as, as that guy yesterday. And it looked like there was some disconnection on offense at times. And I agree that Joe Milton is not the problem. And Michigan has to go play a tough Indiana team next week on the road. And I think this is, is going to be a really crucial point for the Wolverines right now. And I really don't know what to expect going forward. But, yeah, no coach is going to get fired during this COVID year. And I think we'll just have to wait and see what happens.
0: Yeah, I don't know that no coaches are gonna be fired. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if none got fired, but yeah, I, I think that they're gonna be far less than, I'm guessing, I haven't run the numbers on it, but the maybe 15 that get fired every year, I think it's gonna be a lot less. If if maybe, like, like you say, it might be zero, uh, but uh, it's certainly gonna be a consideration that uh, administrations are going to take for two reasons. They're going to have some leniency on, okay, it was a difficult situation. We can understand. And number two, all these athletic departments are losing tons of money because of, uh, the situation. So they're going to be less apt to try to buy out contracts and the money hanging over all these coaches heads are going to prevent a lot of firings, uh, because of the financial landscape. All right, Uh, we had a big, uh, actually a couple big results. I know one was more uh, pronounced in the Texas-Oklahoma State game uh, and gained more attention because of a ranked team involved in Texas, but also Kansas State losing to West Virginia because Kansas State, even though they had a loss outside the conference, were tied with uh, Oklahoma State for the conference lead. So you had a two-way tie for the conference lead, and both teams lose uh, to drop from an undefeated status in in the conference and so we've got a jumbled mess in the Big 12. And that's not good for the Big 12's college football playoff opportunities, Scott. But uh, it makes for an exciting race now that we've got, oh, Iowa State's got one loss. So does Kansas State and Oklahoma State. They're all tied at 4-1 uh, and one or 3-1. Then and and Oklahoma, Texas, West Virginia are all 3-2. and two top two teams make the conference championship game. So there are a ton of scenarios out there, but certainly Texas's win over Oklahoma State brought the Cowboys back down to earth, hurt the conference's playoff chances, but moves Texas into a position where they can possibly uh, make it to the title
1: game. Yeah, yesterday was pretty wild in the Big 12. Going into it, there was really only four teams, maybe three teams that actually had like a chance. But with Kansas State getting beat by West Virginia and with Texas going on the road to defeat Oklahoma State. it kept Texas and West Virginia at those two losses. And then Oklahoma surviving, it' you know, Texas Tech, I don't even think it was surviving. I think they killed them, but just having those two losses, it now moves into a position where there's six teams legitimately fighting for that, for those two spots for the conference championship game. And it's going to be absolute chaos. I think Kansas State's going to fizzle out. I know Skylar Thompson got injured and they have a freshman quarterback now. And they just did not look very good at all against West Virginia yesterday. So I think they'll end up fizzling out. But West Virginia's look really good as of late. Texas yesterday got a huge win. That was a huge win for Tom Herman. He needed to prove some people that he could win a game like that. Oklahoma State, I think, I still think has the talent. And I think is the best team in the Big 12. But they do lose that game. And Oklahoma seemingly finding their stride a little bit. And Iowa State's been really consistent under Matt Campbell these last few years. So I think there are legitimately five teams that can all potentially take those two spots. And it's going to be really fascinating to watch what happens over these next few weeks. In my personal opinion, it's probably going to end up being Oklahoma State and Iowa State at the end.
0: Yeah, I do think Oklahoma State, I agree with you, is the best team. Even though they lost
1: yesterday, I watched
0: that game. Uh, Texas found a way to win. They, they created turnovers. So Oklahoma State turned it over four times. Texas was flawless in protecting the ball. That's obviously huge. Oklahoma State had, oh, the, the yardage differential was enormous. It was like 580 to 280. Uh, Texas just did what they needed to do, and uh, that's how football games are won and lost. Uh, and, and the turnovers, sometimes they're, they're unforced errors. Sometimes they're not. It was a little bit of both. It was great Texas defense at times. But uh, Oklahoma State looked really impressive despite losing that game against Texas. Uh, Spencer Sanders is legit. Tylen Wallace is one of the best wide receivers in the country. He's amazing. He is just an exceptional freak wide receiver who uh, is not just a freak athlete, but he puts the polish on it. He's really honed his craft. He's a great route runner, just a really smart player. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense is probably the best in the Big 12 and I'm not going to change my opinion because they gave up 41 in overtime to Texas again they gave up less than 300 yards of total offense so uh, they were definitely in the game and I still think the Cowboys yeah best team who's gonna play them I could go with anybody except I agree with you the Kansas State I don't see them hanging around Uh, And West Virginia most likely not going to hang around, but they certainly took it to Kansas State. Maybe I need to pay a little more attention to West Virginia. Uh, But I think it's going to be – I could go with either one of those three teams between Oklahoma, Texas, and Iowa State. Of course, if there's a three-way tie for second place, it could be a crazy – or first place slash second place, there could be some kind of crazy tiebreaker scenario. But right now, obviously, Oklahoma owns it against Texas – But Iowa State owns it against Oklahoma head-to-head, and uh, so it it will be fun to watch, but most likely it's not going to result in a conference champion who goes to the playoff.
1: Yeah, as you said, Iowa State owning that tiebreaker over Oklahoma is huge because Iowa State's going to have to lose three total games in the conference, and Oklahoma's going to have to win out if they want that position, and Oklahoma still has to play Oklahoma State, so it's going to be, I honestly think it's going to end up being Iowa State and Oklahoma State at the end, but Iowa State has been known for playing down to competition, and it honestly wouldn't surprise me if they ended up losing three games, but I just don't know if Oklahoma's going to win out and beat Oklahoma State. Yeah, so we've got an Iowa State game against
0: Texas coming up uh, November 27th, Thanksgiving weekend, so that's huge. Iowa State at Texas. Texas, obviously, they need to win out and they would tie Iowa State with two losses, uh, assuming they stay flawless uh, in this next two weeks. Uh, so that that could be the key game of the season. All right, good stuff. So our conversation for today, we would love uh, people to, uh, for you folks to uh, comment down in the comment section below, leave us a, a rating, a review, uh, subscribe here, whether you're watching on our uh, youtube channel or you're watching on your favorite uh, or listening on your favorite audio platform so please subscribe there leave us a comment and uh, again this is the dual threat podcast we're going to be talking hardcore college football for you the smart fan uh, all the time so lock it in right here uh, for scott fisher this is mark rogers uh, the voice of college football you can catch us on our youtube channels as well just look up scott fisher and uh, look up mark rogers tv as well so we've got. Uh, content coming out all the time and then again lock it in here at the dual threat podcast scott it's been a good time talking some college football
1: i totally agree mark i will catch you next week for this and also be sure to subscribe to our new youtube channel where we'll be uploading most of our clips and it'll be more of a talk show type channel as well
0: awesome so everybody we will see you next time here on the dual threat podcast